Welcome to the Darkness Dwells podcast, episode 49. I am your host, Jason White, and I have somebody special with me. Who is there? It's Michael Schutz. Hello, everybody. <laughs> How's it going this week, Mike? Michael, sorry. It's good. I'm. Uh, I I started the next new book. So. Oh wow! Uh, cool. Wonderful creative juices flowing. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, how does it feel to be working on something new? It feels um, a little bit scary, as it always does, but um, very freeing too. You know, after after working with with one thing for so long, doing the edits and all of this and all of that to actually be getting out this new idea it's yeah. so fresh it, oh it, it's a lot of fun it's a little liberating it sounds like yeah it definitely is it's scary and liberating at the same time <laughs> i know that feeling um uh, as for me I'm, I'm working on writing uh i'm still working trudging through the first draft of my uh uh, novel or novella. I'm not too sure how long it's going to be. There's a lot of characters so far, though, so it might be a little bit longer. I'm not too sure. But uh, I'm really, I'm really anxious about this one because I remember you brought it up to me several months ago when I think it was just in the planning stages, just in the early days. Yeah, actually, there was a couple of false starts there with uh, different uh, yeah. ideas. So the one I'm working on now, I'm pretty sure I'm going to find an end to. Well, I know how it's going to end, but uh, uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to work until it's done because this one, uh, it's it, you know, it, it, it just has that feeling. I don't have that internal editor bugging me right now saying this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so stop. <laughs> and then you end up stopping. I, I love and, when he shuts up. Yeah. It's, well, you know, he bugs me for certain things, but it's that when that you get that dark feeling that this just isn't working out. And you're like ten thousand words in, and you just kind of stop. Uh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. But so Oof. so far, none of that. So so we'll see. <laughs> All right. So uh, this week uh, we have an we have an interesting show. This week um, we talk about uh, a, both a book, or actually not really a book, short story, and uh, the ad- adaptation of that short story, and that is uh, Clive Barker's Dread. Something that uh, I just, I, I read the short story before and I had seen the movie before, but I was I was going through, I felt like rereading the Books of Blood because it's been so long. Yeah. And, and when I reread his short story, Dread, I didn't, uh, it didn't stick out in my mind the first time I read it. Boy, it really did, did this time. So I thought, I brought it up to you and thought, how fun would that be to do uh, uh, an adaptation and, and the original story? Yeah, comparison for our show. And it was a it was a pretty uh, good idea. But before we get into that, I'm going to tell everyone about uh, about our sponsors, um, Crystal Lake Publishing. Uh, they've been publishing since. 2012, um, they uh, have quickly become one of the world's leading indie publishers of mystery, thriller, suspense books with a dark fiction edge. Now, these guys have a lot of really talented folks writing under them, including Richard Thomas, uh, uh, past guest Richard Thomas, past guest, uh, oh, excuse me, <laughs> Patrick Rutigliano, and uh, also uh, Mark Allen Gunnels, who is also a past guest. Uh, they also have uh, Mercedes M. Yardley, uh, 
they they have a ton of people that uh, you if you don't know you should know these are definitely up and coming stars within the uh, the dark fiction and horror literature uh, uh, you know uh, the books that we read <laughs> Uh, I, I, I highly recommend Crystal Lake Publishing, especially uh, their Tales from the Lake uh, volumes. Uh, they just released uh, Volume 2, I believe, and Volume 3 is coming out, I believe, next year or late this later this year. And they are collections of short stories, and they have, uh, a, well, the first one I have read, and uh, it's phenomenal. I highly recommend you check that out. Uh, second up, we have uh, Audible.com. Go to uh, www.audibletrial.com slash darknessdwells. And once you're there, you can uh, you can browse the library. It's huge. And, uh, and from there, you can choose uh, any book you want and start up a free trial membership through that link I just gave you. Now, with that free trial, you get a free audiobook basically. And if you decide to stay with them, um, it costs roughly $15 a month. And with that $15, you get a credit and that credit gets you an audiobook. And audiobooks are expensive no matter what medium you're buying them in. So I highly recommend this club. I've been using them, I don't know, since 2008 or nine, somewhere around then. Pretty much close to their inception, I think. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to suggest, and it's probably not a big surprise, uh, Books of Blood, Volume 2. <laughs> oh, excellent. Books of Blood, Volume 2. I could have recommended like the whole, at least Part 1 or Part 2, because these books or these short stories have been released in uh, a couple of various different ways. When they were first released, uh, they, they came out in six volumes of uh, like nov- uh, novella-sized uh, little books. With They had awesome covers. I loved them. And uh, Volume 2 is the one, I believe, that had Dread. It doesn't say so in the uh, description here, but I'm pretty sure... It does, yes. Yes, and uh, uh, the the other stories that are included with it are pretty... Well, they're all really awesome. So definitely check out the Books of Blood uh, on... They, they have pretty much all of... Though they have all of them. And the really cool thing about these are, is each story is read by somebody different. So... Uh, on volume two here, we have uh, narrated by Hilary Huber, John Lee, Peter Burkrot, uh, Chris Patton, Peter Bishop, and Jeffrey Kaffer. Uh, and it's six hours and 20 minutes. And it's, uh, it's really awesome. I highly recommend it. And uh, that's it for our sponsors. Um, how about we uh, kick into this episode and... Uh, and start off with the news. So, uh, so I found that the news this week there was a little bit of slim pickings 
in the news this week. Yeah, it was kind of a quiet, quiet week all yeah. around. Um, there's a couple of things I want to bring up before we get too far into this, and there's a few things I forgot to mention that I really wanted to mention as they happened. This is like a month ago. First thing is uh, rest in peace to Mark Justice. He passed away. I, I don't remember the date, but it's been about three weeks, maybe a bit longer. And if you don't know who Mark Justice is, um, he was a podcaster, and he was also a horror writer. And he was also the first podcaster to incorporate basically what I'm doing uh, and what a lot of other people are doing right now, uh, a podcast focusing mostly on horror literature. Uh, of course, I mix it up because I mix both, or we mix it up. We mix it with both horror movies and horror books. But uh, Mark Justice, they he'd been doing it since like 2007, 2008, maybe even er, uh, earlier than that. He uh, passed away of a heart attack, and uh, I, I was listening to his show back in like 2009. It was one of the first horror uh, podcasts I ever listened to. And uh, so he's going to be greatly missed. Um, I, I I wanted to mention this for a long time, but it just it's just one of those things, you know what I mean? Um, there was a lot going on, and I just well, I forgot. I'm terrible. <laughs> no, you're not. And you know this this just goes. I don't know if it's because I I know of these people. A lot more, but 2016, you know how people are, are saying that 2016 is so cursed, but we're just losing a lot of people. We are, yes. Just a lot of celebrities, a lot of, a lot of people out there. It's, it's, it's weird. It's a little weird. It, 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 you know what? It does seem really weird, but in all honesty, I, I don't think I've thought about this <laughs> because like ever since Michael Jackson died, I had this feeling like, you know, there was a, <laughs> to be a nerd, <laughs> there was a, uh, there was a, there was a trouble with the force, you know, you felt the, uh, uh, <laughs> like, it was like the fabric of reality um, shifted a little, because ever since I was a kid, Michael Jackson was a part of my reality, whether for good or ill. Um, Michael Jackson was one of the first music things that I started listening to as a kid that really hit me hard. I remember listening to like uh, the Thriller album and uh, and suddenly just really getting it as as much as a child can get it. You know what I mean? And but to go on to my point here, um, when he died, it made me think that you know uh, that reality had changed because he's gone now and then somebody else died and it was the same thing i was like man these people are rooted in my reality why are they dying <laughs> and uh so I th i've been thinking about it as more and more of them dying um these people most of them are like uh baby boomers and yeah and michael jackson wasn't but uh a lot of these other people um including um Another one who, another guy who died recently, uh, Doctor Giggles. <laughs> I, yes, I want. Yeah, I was trying to segue into him. As a matter of fact, yeah, yeah, he, he, well, he passed away at the age of sixty-six. A lot of these people, uh, David Bowie, they're they're dying when normal people generally can die of natural causes. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it because of the, there's, you know, the baby boomer, they called it a boom for a reason. There's a, a 
huge explosion in the population. And a lot of those people, well, not a lot, but, you know, of course, some of those people got famous. So there's a lot more famous people now than there ever was in the past. And because a lot of them are now uh, getting older, uh, they're going to start dying. <laughs> and uh, It so, seems that they're dying a little young, though. 60s, to me, especially in this day and age, with, with all the medical accomplishments. Yeah. Because uh, Richard Wright, the uh, keyboardist for for Pink Floyd, he died in, I think it was 2006. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't terribly long ago. He was in his in his late 60s, I believe. That's the one that, like you were talking about Michael Jackson, that's the one that kind of, uh, kind of shook me. Yeah. But all these guys are dying in their 60s, it sounds like, and, and that just seems really young. Yeah, especially since they say that 60 is the new 40, right? Or, si- or oh, 60s my goodness, is your new 40. Not just 40. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, well, that scares me too because I'm 40 as well. So it's like, okay, I guess I could die any day now of a heart attack. <laughs> you know it's, what? It's possible. Not, not to bring the mood down, but my maternal grandfather died of a heart attack when he was 39. Oh, so my God. You know, so I was really happy that I made it to 40. That was like I'm the <laughs> only person in the world that was happy. You know, we have some, we have a very we have a very strange uh, something in common. Then, uh, not my grand my not my paternal grandfather, but my cousin on my dad's side, he died at the exact same age of a heart attack, thirty nine. Really? Yeah, and oh, terrible. Uh, I remember hanging out with him when I was a kid because I'd be visiting my dad. My parents split up when I was like one years old, and so I'd be like a teenager visiting my dad. And he was like the coolest guy, not my dad, but <laughs> but uh, my cousin, the one the one who died at the age of 39, because he was he was in a thrash metal band. He was a drummer, and uh, he knew all these bands. He's basically the guy who introduced me to like heavier music, because at the time I was into Motley Crue and stuff, and uh, he was into like Slayer and Metallica, and uh, he introduced me to that stuff, and uh, I absolutely adored him. I like uh, looked up to him so hardcore. <laughs> He was like my hero, and uh, when I heard that he died, I was like, "Oh my god! Like, really? <laughs> wow, that's weird. Yeah, that's just that is that's that's creepy, young floor for heart problems. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I've survived him now. I'm uh 42 this year, uh, which is you know, it's kind of scary. I, I don't think too many people think about that, but but yeah. There it is. <laughs> there death, it is. Death looking at you in the face. Is, is, is Motley Crue not not that hard? I I never really listened to that. I'm classic rock kind of guy through Ma- and through. I well, always thought that uh, they were right up there with Metallica and such. No. Um, if you go back to the '80s, if you if we were in the '80s right now, Motley Crue would be considered heavy metal. But uh, a lot of bands have come and gone since then kind of defining what is heavy metal and what isn't uh motley crew would be more like hard rock now oh um and they would definitely be a hard rock band uh anything if they were to write a new album right now though would probably just be rock but back in the heyday they were they were hard rock yeah metallica that's really interesting yeah metallica is more like thrash metal um and they were the start of actually creating the boundaries of i I would say what is metal and what is more like hard rock, but back in the '80s there was no such lines. It was all if it if you were wearing crazy makeup and spiked hair and 
and we're going, you know, drinking like mad and snorting coke off, <laughs> snorting coke off the, the thighs of hookers before going on stage. Then you were metal. Did you say thighs? Yeah. That, that, was, that was such a nice, nice catch on your part. <laughs> That was a good self-edit. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah Sorry. There, <laughs> but there's the difference, really. Um, uh, people might disagree with me, but that's what I've observed anyway. But, uh, yeah, so people are dying. Uh, and so rest in peace, Mark Justice. And uh, rest in peace to Drake, uh, Larry Drake, and also uh, Gary Shandling. Like, Wow. You know, like they're dropping what? like flies. Yeah, he didn't know that. He passed away uh, two or three days ago. What? Are you serious? Yeah, he died of a heart attack, age uh, sixty-six, maybe sixty-seven. Gary Shandling? Yeah, Gary Shandling. Oh my God! Yeah. Wow. Well, that just blew my day. <laughs> Easy, <laughs> man. See, man, when 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 I bring sorrow. And I bring dread everywhere I go. Wherever you go. Yes. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> I want to see how old he was. Was he in his 60s? He was I can't in his do 60s. Math. Yeah, he was in his 60s, but uh, I don't know how old exactly he was. Oh, excuse me. I got gas today or something. Okay, let's see if we can't... Uh, Gary... Shit. Didn't have to get into a Deadpool or something this year, I think. Yeah, I, I know some people who uh, have like a death list, <laughs> and they—I uh, wouldn't say they root for people to die, but it seems that way. Um, yeah, he, oh, he was 66 as well, so. Oh yeah, now I found it too. That's very bizarre. Yeah, very sad, really. But uh, yeah, that's—I guess—that's the way it goes. Um, you know that's life. So, uh, did you have any? What, you said you were. You mentioned you had a couple of news items. Yeah, um, nothing, nothing too big actually, as far as news goes. But I was looking around at the upcoming April releases for Netflix and Hulu, um, because if. if if y'all know anything about me, I, I love my streaming services. Yeah. And April is going to be a good month for Stephen King fans. Um, between between Netflix and Hulu, we're going to have access to Cujo, The Running Man, The Dead Zone, Maximum Overdrive, and the series eleven twenty two sixty three, uh, based on the the King book about uh, the time traveling mm. John F Kennedy assassination stopper. That's going to be finishing up. So if you've been waiting so that you can see all the episodes just in one binge, that's going to be possible. Um, and just a couple other ones that stuck in my mind that weren't Stephen King: A Clockwork Orange will be coming to Netflix. Which if you haven't seen that. It's not horror, but it's about as dark as you can go without being a horror thriller. Um, and one of our favorite movies here on Darkness Dwells, It Follows. Mm. You'll be able to stream that. And one that we just talked about briefly, Maggie, the uh, zombie drama with a very surprising, very surprising turn by Arnold Schwarzenegger. All wow. coming in April. So, so get your services. Yeah. Uh, I love Netflix. 
I, I would die without my Netflix. I swear to God. Uh, recently, I got a, a Chromecast. Do you know what? Do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah. I I got that, and I swear to God, uh, <laughs> Netflix. I feel bad for only paying like eight bucks a month because <laughs> I use it all yeah. the time now. Yeah. Like before, it was a pain in the ass because you'd have to hook up your your uh, computer to the TV, or you had to watch it off off your computer and i can't stand that so uh, see i had i had uh, you have to get a a tv with apps on it get a smart tv yeah well there's that right the netflix app on it oh, yeah boy. oh it's so like that's nice you got one of those smart tvs then eh yeah oh you lucky bastard <laughs> um i have a release date too actually and uh it's from our uh, good old friend rob zombie and his film 31 uh, late, lately, it's been uh, on the on the indie film uh, festival circuit. Uh, I think it only played like one or two, not many. Uh, it's been getting some really good reviews, though. People are saying it's a uh, you know it's it's basically just violent fun, which is what we want. <laughs> and it's going to have a limited theatrical release uh, this September the sixteenth of two thousand sixteen. So I don't know what limited. I, it's probably not going to reach here because these limited releases never reach me. Uh, it yeah, might... I hate I hate that phrase limited release. Yeah, it depresses me. Uh, so it might reach you. I don't know. Um, hopefully, it'll be out in DVD and Blu-ray by Christmas. If not, hopefully early next year. That would be nice because I've been hearing about this movie forever and ever, and uh, I just want to see the damn thing. <laughs> oh, I know. And and you're just like me. That that we don't like knowing anything about it. Yeah. So I have been I have been like trying to find out news and stuff about it and and release dates, but not not hearing anything about plot or anything. It's really difficult to filter that out, so nothing gets spoiled. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I don't think you can really spoil too much about this one, though. I think it's pretty much just straightforward uh, craziness, but we'll see. Um. Uh, I think I think that's it. Uh, there are no uh, book releases this week. I uh, looked and looked, but uh, Dark Views, Permuted Press, um, Crystal Lake has something coming out, but not this week. Um, there was just nothing. It was dry. It was very lonely. And and which is weird because it is it is Zombie Jesus weekend. I know. You think so they would? You think that in honor? You think they would have released some zomb- uh, zombie zombie uh, Jesus stories? <laughs> you know, they have they have zombie Nazis. They should really they should really do that. It, they should, yeah. Some <laughs> we could have like a zombie Jesus, uh, zombie God. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, let's let's do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> zombie Jesus. He that's his second that's his second coming. And then, you know, yeah. if all this uh, Jesus stuff is real, we'll rot in hell. And oh, uh, that'll be fun. I, you know, I swear, I and I almost blasphemed when I did that. No, I, uh, <laughs> I think that God has a sense of humor. And I think that, I think that Jesus definitely would, too. Let's hope so. You know? Because if it, if this yeah. is... Yeah, we better, I definitely need to hope so. <laughs> yeah, because, well... Yeah, if if not, then uh, we're we're both in trouble for many different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I think we'll take a break, and then uh, when we get back, 
uh, we will be talking about Dread. With unmatched success since 2012, Crystal Lake Publishing has quickly become one of the world's leading indie publishers of horror and thriller books with a mystery and suspense edge. With stories, interviews, and essays by the likes of Wes Craven, Neil Gaiman, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, Kevin Lucia, Jasper Bark, Mercedes M. Yardley, Mark Allen Gunnels, and Clive Barker, you'll want to dive right in. Crystal Lake Publishing www.crystallakepub.com Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts, describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Um, well, Hammer means how to get a nail into a block of wood. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes, and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website, www.1951downplace.com. Should I have said Hammer Pants? 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Can I help you? Sir! Get out of the house! You know we've had five classes together, and this is the first meal we've ever shared. Well, it's not really a meal. That's a botanical garden. I want you to come by my place... I want to talk to you about something. You have access to equipment through the film program, right? And you need a project for your thesis. Yeah. What if we need a fear study? To live in others' dread vicariously? I'm in. What is your strongest memory of feeling fear? I was there no more than ten minutes before some boy asked me what was wrong with my face. The concussion left me deaf for three years. You live with the notion that the thing that causes you the most terror could come back at any time. I'm scared of spiders. I'm scared of clowns. Who cares? Interview me. My dad worked at the meatpacking plant. I'd listen to his boots walk to my bedroom door. I can hardly stand to look at a piece of meat now. That's what I'm talking about. Honest to God, trauma. It's a school project, okay? It's not like we're curing cancer. This was never about a school assignment! Please! 
looks like madness. It must be right. Hey, Kira. Seen you in like a week. Call me back. This is on every TV across campus. <laughs> I just wanted you to see the next phase of my study. Can you hear me? This is where the threat begins. Quiet! I'll let you get away with that. Where is she? Let's see how hungry you have to be to get through that. I want your soul to open up for me. Okay, so uh, in uh, do you do you is like nineteen eighty one or is it nineteen eighty four or I know it was in the eighties somewhere where uh, Clive Barker started releasing these uh, books of blood. Um, I want to say eighty four, but I don't know why I why I think that. Let yeah. me check the copyright page. Yes. Yeah. Spring of 1984 was the very first um, appearance, it looks like. Yeah. One thing I noticed when reading Dread was uh, how good uh, the writing was. Especially, like, I don't want to slam on Barker, but his writing has kind of changed over the years. Um, these short stories, they're, they're less uh, colorful then they became like uh, a lot of his sentences became more passive as as time went on and uh i found that you really had to pay attention in order to you know catch what's going on in the story because that's really interesting that you that you yeah you know, that you say that because in the scarlet gospels which which a very good friend of mine gave me for christmas uh-huh. <laughs> um, I noticed he wrote he wrote in the passive he slipped into the passive voice like several times. Yeah, which is really strange for that caliber of a writer slash the caliber of editor. I that I'm sure would have been assigned to that. Yeah, I I don't know what it is. I think honestly, my theory. I don't know Clive Barker from a hole in the wall, but he's been going through a lot of shit in the last few years. Like his. Uh, uh, one of his parents died. I think it, it was his. Uh, it was either, obviously, it was either his mother or father. Uh, he had that. <laughs> he, he had that terrible divorce with his husband, um, which went to court and uh, one sued the other. It was just a horrible mess. And so, obviously, he's not probably. Oh, he was also uh, recovering from you know a terrible illness. So he's obviously not you know in the right frame of mind to be maybe writing but he is anyway uh i so i you know i'm never too hard on writers when they write something that's just not up to their what used to be their standards because you just don't know what they're going through in real life right and yeah. uh, the scarlet gospels is something that he's been uh, talking about writing for a long time but uh i have to admit i didn't like just uh, as an offside i didn't really like it because uh it seemed to slip completely away from where the novella was and uh, it went right to the uh, the movies. Uh, it was basically uh, tied into the movies more than the actual novella. And I can't judge because I read I read the novella in junior high. Yeah. So I so my reference point really is the movie at at this point. So. Yeah. Well, I guess that's and why I loved he did it. That. I absolutely loved it. I know I, I liked it much more than you did. Yeah. Well. 
I think what it is for me is I go into things with, I guess, high expectations. And then when I'm let down, I tend to get angry. <laughs> and so I hate it. <laughs> I'm like, fuck this book. <laughs> and fuck the author. <laughs> and, but then I realize, you know, that's just unfair. And uh, basically what I have to do is I have to read it again, and I'll probably appreciate it a hell of a lot more. The same yeah. thing with movies. I have to do that with movies a lot. Yeah. I, I find myself uh, just in a, in, a, in a pissy mood or whatnot. Yeah. And and I'll watch something that friends have recommended that, you know, have gotten good reviews from people I trust, and I just think it's garbage. And I'm like, maybe it was me. It's got to be me. Yeah. And then you watch it again, and you're like, you know, that wasn't bad. <laughs> Why did I hate on it so bad? <laughs> or, oh, it wasn't me at all. This is a piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens too, yeah. But uh, I never got that from Books of Blood. Um, I remember, well, most of those stories I read a long time ago. Excuse me, back when I was in, like, high school. And some of them... Well, actually, I read the whole thing when I was in high school. So I don't really remember too much about the story. Some of them I have read again, like... Uh, the Midnight Meat Train. I read that one again because of the movie. And yeah. uh, I remember being impressed uh, back... This is like a few years ago when the movie came out. And uh, I remember being Im- impressed all over again by Clive Barker's writing. And uh, when you I know, read... It's, it's, it's just so imaginative. I yeah. mean, that's the thing. It's... Uh, even, even for... Even now, it's just so good it's the the visuals the the texture that he creates but i mean back in 1984 and whatnot it's just would have been light years ahead of of almost anything yeah and one thing i really liked about this story is you could tell that uh uh at least back then clive barker read a lot because it had more of a literary feel to his uh, to his stories, and well, I felt that mostly with uh, this story, actually, Dread. Just the whole idea of being in school um, yeah. and having that attitude, you know, like like the characters in this story, uh, Quaid and Steve, uh, they sort of have this, you know, nothing can touch me attitude, and. Uh, and, you know, I don't give a shit about anything attitude. It, 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 it almost read like a Hemingway story in a sense. Um, except, of course, they're talking about very dark things. <laughs> and uh, You know, I, I, I get what you're saying, though, because I started... I, I'm in the middle of, of rereading all of the books of blood. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I started Dread, it just struck me that it's a really tight short story yeah it's just is really really good the first time through i remember pig blood blues from volume one i think yeah. um, as being the standout one that's the one that i'm like oh if i were to direct a movie i do it a pig blood blues uh-huh. but the second time through dread hit me like like the midnight meat train it hit me like a train just yeah. uh it's a beautiful piece it is it's remarkable. It's the only one in the anthology of the Books of Blood that doesn't have anything supernatural happen in it, I believe. Oh. I, I, that, uh, that one escaped me. But yeah, it's very, it's very grounded in reality. It's one of those kind of, uh, this could happen to you whores. Yeah, and one thing that I liked about it is uh, it, it's kind of a prophetic in its own sense, uh, which is kind of an ironic thing to say because of, uh, you know, 
they they talk about prof or not prophecy they talk about philosophy and all that through throughout the whole book and that's basically what it's about but uh and the philosophy of dread at that <laughs> but uh where was i going with this um yeah shit i just lost my train of thought that it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy sort of a book uh maybe I don't think so. <laughs> it's gone. But <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Uh, but, yeah, like I guess to get into what the story is about then, um, Dread is about uh, these two uh, university students who are heavily into uh, 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 philosophy. And uh, for... Well, I'm getting maybe the movie and and the the story mixed up. Was was Quaid doing a thesis on this in the story, in the short story? In the story, you know, I I wrote down a lot of comparisons. That particular one, no, I don't. I I didn't mention that one. Because I know that in the uh, in the film now they were film students. Yeah, and the, even though they met in a philosophy class. So I, I do believe that in Barker's story, it was an experiment just for himself. Yeah. 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 So, so well, they're really uh, into the, uh, especially Quaid. Quaid is like obsessed with, uh, with dread and he's obsessed with, uh, with finding people's, uh, I don't think he ever like coined a term or anything, but it was sort of like, uh, your what, freaks you out basically the most and these are often realistic fears and uh there's there's a, a fairly small cast of characters uh i can't remember the girl's name there's a girl carol carol and uh, of course there's steve and uh and quaid and uh basically uh quaid <laughs> gets up to some bad things to conduct a study on his own uh, to see if he can find what it is that uh, that scares you the most. Yes, he calls it the Beast, which actually made it over to the to the movie as well, which yeah. is a really nice personification of the of the whole dread. You know, you get you get the impression that um, I forget who said it. Unfortunately, that thing, if you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back into you. It's kind of that yeah. that sort of thing. The that abyss, was... and in this case, being you know not emptiness, but actually being dread incarnate, the the beast, and and Quaid sort of wants to look it in the face. Yeah, and that quote I believe is from Friedrich Nietzsche, I believe. Yes. Yes. However you pronounce right. his name. And there's some, some people out there who are really fussy in how you pronounce his name. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no. I, I always say Nietzsche. Yeah, Nietzsche. I I, it's like Nietzsche, Nietzsche. I don't know. It's, it's Frederick Nietzsche, all right? <laughs> but yeah. Just say um, it really fast. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> Frederick really Nietzsche. fast keep on going. Like, that's, oh, that, that's Nietzsche. <laughs> it's, who? It's Nietzsche. Anyway. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so uh, that that theory alone, I think I I, I love reading about their conversations about uh, you know um, the Carol the girl she's a she's a strict, Cheryl Cheryl yeah Cheryl sorry she's like a strict vegan and uh, so <clears throat> excuse me so uh, 
So Quaid is obsessed with finding out why, <laughs> and uh, he wants to know uh, why is it that she, you know, is she afraid of meat? What's she afraid of? What, where's the dread in this? And uh, that actually, because where this story goes, that's where I lost my train of thought, is uh, Clive Barker was being a little bit of a prophet in in the sense of where movies were going, because this movie, or this short story, uh, kind of uh, is sort of along the lines of, uh, you know, what, what you see in a lot of uh, in extreme horror today, or what some people would classify as torture porn. Which uh, which didn't exist back then. Back then it was all slasher films and whatnot. So I don't know if you could say this is a starting point for that type of entertainment, or or if it's just a coincidence. But I think maybe the short story had some influence into that subgenre of horror stories. That's a that's a terrific insight there, my friend. I, I like that. That's a really yeah. I can I can see that. Because well, because it, it it has that whole voyeuristic. I mean, uh, of course, in, in in the movie, they you know they're videotaping the experiment, and in Clyde Barker, he's taking pictures. But it's still it has it's almost the basis of a uh, found footage as well. The torture porn and yeah. like a found footage, you know. But I, I like how uh, the story switches from. Uh, uh, like just regular uh, narrative to suddenly describing what's in the picture. Uh, it's like picture 26 shows uh, blah, blah, blah. So what he does, we're just going to go into a little bit of what Quaid does, is he pretty much kidnaps Cheryl and locks her in a room. And I believe he keeps her... No, he locks her in a room. There's like a, a cot and a table, I believe. And on the table is uh, a slab of raw meat. <laughs> and he keeps her locked in there until she breaks down and, and eats the meat. And uh, that's the experiment. And I don't even think it's raw. I think I think he mentioned Yeah, he did I that, think he did he cook cooked it. it. Yeah. He even cooked it up nice for her because I guess that was that was kind of one of the points was that to anybody to, to any, you know, carnivore, to anyone not vegan, it was a very presentable meal. Yeah. And, uh, of course, she holds out. And uh, I think she's held for six, seven days. And uh, I'm not going to say the outcome of it because that outcome leads into another out- or something else involving uh, Stephen or Steve. And uh, it's, it, well, overall, it's just a really fascinating read. I, I, I loved reading it. I was surprised at how much I liked it because. To be honest, I didn't remember a damn thing about it from reading it earlier. I I don't think I was very impressed with it back in high school, but then I was more into, you know, ghouls and goblins and and, yeah. and shit like that. So that's what I wanted to read about. Reading about this type of philosophy was just like, eh, boring. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't... You know, I came across the uh, the movie maybe three or four years ago, and I had completely forgotten about the story by Clive Parker. It hadn't even, it didn't even, even though it says in the credits, I guess I didn't see that. So (laughs) so when I decided to read the books of Blood again, I opened up volume two, and I'm like, Fred, oh, I wonder. (laughs) And and I don't know why I forgot about it, because, because what Parker does is just in his narrative, he creates a lot of, he creates a really good constant 
suspense. There's actually a lot of dread for the reader, wondering, oh my God, what is Quaid going to do? Yeah. You know, how how loose is this canon? And uh, at least for me, I guess it'd be different for every reader, of course. But I actually felt a lot of dread too. Yeah, just me too. Reading it, and, oh, because just well, knowing that something bad's going to happen. Yeah, the minute he takes Cheryl, uh, you know he's batshit crazy. So. Uh, well, actually, you get the well, sense that he's that. batshit crazy he, before. You know, that. for me, it, it it started it started way earlier yeah. when when he started going out with Cheryl. Yeah, because I just and and maybe you know the movie kind of informs that because I you know I, it's not like the very first time I read it, but but I, I'd say that it really was just the quality of of Barker's work. You just know that uh, he's doing this for some reason. He's not like, oh, this is my girlfriend. <laughs> he does a really good job of of telling us who Quaid is through Stephen's eyes. Just, you know, one of those kind of almost cult leader-ish oh, yeah, people, you know, sure. spellbinding with his words and you want to be around him. But the more you're around him, he has some really bizarre ideas and maybe you shouldn't be hanging out with him. Yeah, and the more he's uh, trying to get you to do shit you don't really, w- or normally wouldn't really want to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least you get that idea <laughs> from him, right? Um yeah, so I I like I like that idea that he you know he could have been a cult leader uh, because he has that charisma he he can gather uh, a gathering of people who will listen to his bullshit and and feed off it as though yeah as though it's nourishing them <laughs> and uh, so he has that he, he definitely has that charisma and to be honest with you when they m- adapted it for the movie I, they really I think lost that charisma because the quaid in the movie is not the same quaid as in the book which is often the case but but i kind of missed that i wanted to see this quaid uh become you know fully realized instead they well they gave him i guess an understandable backstory that i don't think happened and i don't remember it in the short story i just reread it too but uh, yeah it's not i i think we can i think we could surmise that perhaps that is what happened. He's certainly afraid of, of quote the axe wielder. But no, the uh, the details are definitely left out in the story. Yeah, I, I actually liked that idea. Like, uh, it got me excited. But it, at the same time, I was just like, like, why did they drift so far? And why did they, you know, uh, in the short story, Steve's uh, dread, if you will, is. Uh, is being deaf and uh in the movie they give that <laughs> lovely little dread <laughs> to somebody else <laughs> yeah yeah um <clears throat> excuse me i did a little lot of thinking on, on that too when i was comparing them and i think in general i was really impressed with how the film adapted it because um i think i think you just even said that dread has a very literary quality to it and i thought that the screenwriters really wisely you know went away from that for one thing instead of being philosophy majors their film studies mm-hmm. um and they gave steve instead of a fear of being deaf which is very easily translatable on the written page and and they gave him a fear of cars and violence and car crashes how he lost his brother which, even though they don't show it in the film, it creates an image in our mind. You know, it's very visual. You know, they they did a lot to make things more 
visual for yeah. the film, and I thought I thought they they did a really clever job um, for most of it. I would agree with that because well, they're uh, it's interesting that they're film students and uh, and uh, and that whole idea of the you know being visual of what you were talking about. So it sort of ties in with the characters, and uh, and you know, like this isn't a bad movie. I I really liked the movie. My only lament really is that well, they expanded on it, and that's something that I I I like and don't like. I think the reason why I don't like it because I read the story first for the second time, and I was like, wow, that was really good. You know what I mean? And then I went and watched the movie, and, it, and then you start questioning, why did they change this? Why did they give that to this character yeah. instead of... And who's this character with the... With the... Uh, with the with face... The birthmark. Yeah, with the birthmark, yeah. Like, yeah, why, why is which, she there? But obviously there's a reason for her to be there for the movie. And I'd say, again, that was a decision that they... It was a little weird that they added a whole other character but again they did that for the visual which i thought was again pretty pretty interesting you know yeah. honestly i uh, fell in love with that character um i don't know why she just seemed really uh she seemed really deep you know what i mean like well she uh, was the most sympathetic yeah I, she was I'd very say. i mean i didn't even feel much more steven really who's the hero of yeah, short story. He, was, he was a bit of a dick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he, but he was well, he was a dick to her. But in a sense, you could understand why because he was pining for uh, uh, for Cheryl, and well, he kind of gets her. So in a sense, he was sticking true to his heart. But in a sense, he kind of led her, uh, the girl with the birthmark on her face, actually on the, that whole side of her body. Um, he kind of led her on until. It got serious, and then yeah, you know, and I got to say that I think that uh, you know that sort of thing comes up in, in movies and yeah. literature a lot. I think it's something that happens in real life yeah. too. You know, he liked that attention. He yeah. loved that that attention that that he got. But as soon as you know, she's like, "Oh, I really like you, and I want to be physical." It's like he's he was just as bad as anybody else. I mean, that, I I guess it's just an assumption. But I figured it well, it probably was the birthmark, you know. Yeah, he was in love with Cheryl. But if Abby was, if Abby didn't have that, he might have maybe her, yeah. he would. Yeah. But I found the birthmark more endearing than anything else, especially because like this movie plays a lot with shadows, which is uh, really interesting uh, for a color film. But whenever she was on the screen, she had like the most shadow she was in the in the shadows the most i found and i think they used it to play up on the birthmark because the birthmark looked black and uh and that just lent to the character almost as though she you know she she was in stuck in the shadow because of this stupid ass mark on her face that she has no control over and uh and it's just well, it's sad for her, but I think it was there was a lot of symbolism being played up uh, with the use of shadows, and that's I think part of the reason why I fell in love with her because she was just like this this queen of darkness that that was just you know all sympathetic and you wanting to go give her a hug <laughs> because she looks so sad yeah. all the time, but 
she was one of my favorite characters, and she also came out of left field because she didn't exist in the short story. And I, I almost liked uh, the guy who replaced Stephen with the with the ears. Yeah, actually had kind of a he has a, more of a, a role than than you might expect. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, he, you know, both of those those two were. Well, he especially was very much a, a, a secondary character. Abby was a, pretty much a main character, but yeah, I kind of felt like the main characters were a little bit polarizing. Yeah, well, I guess my idea is that you weren't supposed to exactly like any of the main characters. They're all... Basically, it's hard to make a character sympathetic when they're doing what they're doing like these guys they go off on a their experiment or their thesis or whatever it is they're working on uh is to find the real uh to find the dread just like in the story uh to find the beast as uh, quaid called it a lot uh with lurking within people's skulls the thing that makes them most afraid and uh the the reason it turns to darker corners is because uh uh, Quaid was getting sick of uh, hearing about, you know, the fear of spiders or snakes or yeah. just surface things. He wanted to, he wanted to find the core of uh, of fear and what really drives people. Yeah. Well, I think, I think he was trying to find his fear, which was why he got tired of all those silly little phobias. Yeah. You know, I had, I definitely have that impression. In, in the movie, maybe more so, that, you know, that's really what he was trying to do. I uh, really... And, was, and, and when it came down to it, he was a coward. You know, oh, he well, couldn't sure. face it by himself. He wanted he wanted to see in other people's eyes what he felt in his soul. Yeah. So for all of his fucking talk and all of his, you know, high philosophical this and that, you know, he uh, he was afraid to look inside himself. Yeah, he was a hypocrite. And yeah. uh, and the worst kind because he did terrible things to people. God did he, and caused terrible things too with with Abby. Our, our oh yeah, like Jesus, like birthmark girl, how terrible! Like oh, first you you start to kind of like him because of what he does with Abby. After uh, Steve hurts her, she pretty much goes to him and he takes care of her and he even paints a picture of her without her. Uh, without her birthmark, which was requested of him by her. And then he totally humiliates her at the end of the movie with that stuff, including a videotape <laughs> uh, of uh, her and, uh, and Steve when he lets her down because he was interviewing her during that moment. And uh, it was just sad that he did that. Like, my God, man, this guy deserves... Yeah, and it was really off off character too. It fit, it, you know, it fit in the movie on the surface. To yeah, make things happen, but really, um, for all of you know, Quaid's terribleness, he wasn't that sort of a vindictive character. No. I didn't think. You what? know, he was exploiting people's fears, but I don't know if the character really would have humiliated somebody because of that and in that way. No. I, I agree with you. Movie version Quaid. It's, I think it's very interesting because movie version Quaid. <laughs> I don't think he would have did that too. It just 
because yeah. he was a nicer guy than than book version Quaid. But book version Quaid, I could totally see doing that. Yeah, I I agree with you there. He definitely would have because Quaid in the book he was like you said he was built up by Steve as being a complete psychopath and he well he was there was no uh turning back or even starting for him he was probably always this fucked up <laughs> yeah but uh i think honestly in the movie though there was a bit of uh uh what do you call it uh i think his character was starting to come apart uh because of i i think this journey as you were mentioning that he was afraid he couldn't look into his own uh, abyss to see what was there so he relied on, on other people but as he was looking at other people's abysses <laughs> so to speak uh, he was perhaps unknowingly looking into his yeah. as well and yeah. that started to make him unravel and I think uh, by the end of the movie he's just lost it all completely and uh, and well he well the ending is uh, is interesting. <laughs> the ending, the is, ending the is the same. Good. You know, I like that all of the pieces in the movie come to come together in the in the ending in a very nice way. Yeah. And I like that when all the elements just suddenly, oh, everything everything kind of clicks. Yeah. And uh, and and there's that that final button, as I guess you could say, on the movie. That uh, is a very nice punctuation at the end. Yeah. Um, one thing I really loved about this movie as well that we didn't bring up was the uh, the killer. Do you know who I'm talking about in the movie? Um, how he how he kind of toyed with young Quaid. Yeah, but you mean? Yeah, yeah. I I just yeah. liked the killer all over because uh, he was one. He was scary. Like this dude is scary, <laughs> and two, he he did have an interesting personality in that uh, in that aspect. But uh, I think he's well. Also... The, the whole thing where he was showing his axe and rubbing off the dripping blood and tissue and saying, "This is your mother." Yeah. This is your father. Oh my God, that's something that sticks with me. Yeah, that would yeah, that that does stick with you. That's fucking demented. Yeah, that is demented, and and yet Quaid is alive, so obviously this killer let him live. But uh, I, there's another interesting scene where Quaid's at the bar, and uh, he thinks he sees the killer, and he's quite convinced he sees the killer. And I think that's a uh, obviously he didn't see the killer though. Um, he's hallucinating it. So I think that right there is a good sign that you know he's coming undone. And I I can't remember exactly where in the movie that happens, but I'm pretty sure it's right before the shit starts to hit the fan. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Right I before. don't know if it's if it's before. I think it's after he starts having the nightmares too. Like. Yeah. If I if I have my timeline correct, I think that's you know he starts not being able to sleep and and such. So. So he's out. Yeah. So this isn't the first movie that we've uh, reviewed that has this message of uh, being afraid of looking into the darkness. And honestly, I know people in in real life who who are unable, completely unable, to look into the mirror and uh, and see the darkness that's within them, within themselves. They think that they're just peachy, and the world around them is is terrible and uh, I, so i think these are good like warning movies for that type of thing it, it's a good idea even if it hurts to just take a, a good look inside every once in a while 
Yeah, because if you wall it up, it's still there. Yeah. You know, you can ignore it for only so long. You know, unless you deal with it and get it out of yourself, it's 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 still there. You can't turn your back on it. You can't, because doing so uh, represses it, and if you repress something, and gives it strength, it it's gives like, it strength exactly. Yeah. Yeah. While it's working there in the very back of your mind, it's just gaining strength. Yeah. So that's one thing I love about these movies. Uh, it's very dark uh, ideas that they're playing with, but it's very real stuff. Um, and it's just fat. Like both the book version and the movie version have their values. I think um, I liked both of them, but they're they really are. Even though they have the same characters in in both of them, and the movie has some extra characters, they really are a different beast. I think yes. that play around with the same idea. And uh, so you can enjoy both of them for different reasons, I think. Yeah. And, and I'm always fascinated with that and in how, you know, there's certain things that get changed between the source material and the movie. And, uh, and I think that they were really good choices to change for the most part. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I don't really have too many complaints about this one. Uh, I uh, I liked it a lot. So what are your uh, final thoughts on this? Um, I definitely like Clive Barker's short story better. Um, and it's weird because I remember I remember the movie as being being better <laughs> the first time. You oh, know, yeah? I give you know Barker's work. I'll, I give I give five stars. And and the movie perhaps not as highly as I would have thought when I recommended it. Um, I probably give it like maybe a three and a half or a four wow. for this one today. Okay, I uh, had never seen the movie before, but I had read the short story. As I mentioned before, I didn't really remember a damn thing about it. Uh, so rereading it was like, oh, okay, that's you know interesting. That's like down my. You know, it's pretty much down <laughs> down my highway uh, yeah. line of thinking these days, right? Um, I don't know why it didn't hit me in the head when I first read it, but yeah, there it is. And like I said, never seen the movie. Always meant to because you know it's an adaptation of one of these uh, books of blood stories. So I always meant to, just never got around to it. And uh, but I'm glad I did watch it because I enjoyed it. But like you, I mean. We could probably come up with a top ten list or something of uh, yeah. you know, where movies are better than the books. This wouldn't be one of them, but but I think they were, honestly, in my mind, they were close to being equal. Because uh, the movie brings about different ideas. It sort of plays with the whole concept a bit more than, than, uh, than what uh, Clive Barker did. But the writing in... Uh, in the short story is like so phenomenal. It's, it's just beautifully ex executed. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I, I think reading that kind of spoiled my, my second viewing of the movie. Yeah. It, might have. it was just so good. When I, when I had completely forgotten about the Barker written version, I enjoyed the movie for itself on its own a lot more than when I did compare. Yeah. But I, I think I'm going to give them both a four. Okay. 
and I, I, I highly recommend uh, doing what we did read the short story and then go watch the movie it's a, it's a lot of fun because you're constantly thinking about these ideas and how both are playing with them and uh, what the characters are doing and it, it, it's just overall a lot of fun and it doesn't and it doesn't take a lot of time no. you know it's just no. a short story it's a quick read it's a quick movie and uh it's a lot of fun to compare it really is yeah so uh yeah that's dread uh from 2009 uh we're gonna take uh, another short break here and uh, when we get as we look into the beast <laughs> yes we will be looking into the beast and uh, when we get back, we, well, actually, it won't be Michael and I. It'll be a new person talking about a book review. And they're going to be reviewing the book that both Michael and I are going to be in. Uh, uh, actually, they're, she's going to review uh, the first volume of the Beasts anthology. But, uh, yeah, so uh, after our break, we're going to welcome, uh, sorry, uh, Christina Cooper and her review of Beasts. In a world where nations have developed giant monsters instead of nuclear weapons, Bree Kenny is about to blow up the British Parliament. But she is shocked when her plan fails, and she is captured and given an offer she can't refuse. Her brother will be released from prison if she goes to Loch Ness to kill a man who should already be dead. A man who is over a hundred years old, yet appears to be in the prime of his youth. A man named Alistair Crowley. But all is not as it first seems at Loch Ness. An ancient power is rising from the depths and an entire cast of character wants to get control of it. Will Bree work for the crown or against it? With her government handlers watching her every move, Bree discovers the true power within her as she brings hell to downtown London and live up to her promise as Babylon, the Scarlet Woman, the Mother of Abominations. Mixing military intrigue, keiju action, and occult ritual, Mother of Abominations is the debut novel of Desmond Reddick, and the first novel in the Monster Earth series from Mechanoid Press. Keiju Pulp at its best, available in ebook format on Amazon.com. What I wanted to do to the reader was to hurt the reader and to also exhilarate uh -huh. the reader at the same time. I'm a terrible child. I am the eater of wolves and of children. What do you want? I want to hear you scream. The stain will be worse than your death. Yes, well, 
Christina Cooper. Fans of modern horror. This is Coop here with the scoop on Beast Genesis, a dark ethology, volume one, from Media Bitch Literary Agency. Who hasn't been startled by a spider, attacked by an ant, broken into a run because of a swarm of bees, or even gotten creeped out by making eye contact with a four-legged creation? I know I have. Bats, dogs, lions, primates, ants, bunnies, shadows, infections, shifty shapes, and more will sneak into your thoughts while reading this. I just hope we all survive for volume two. Maybe you are out for a walk in the fog. On your way home from an average day of work, perhaps you heard a whisper along the way. Was it a snake? A bird? An ape? An angel? Are you even safe? Be prepared to panic. Question your own beliefs and rethink your superstitions. Go ahead. Investigate that strange sound or weird neighbor. But beware of the beast, no matter if they are two or four-legged. Nature can be an amazing thing. Unless, of course, you're a horror lover like me. This collection has me scared to leave my house. But also... Frightened to stay indoors with my own pets. There's no winning here, except for the authors who created these chilling shorts. Never underestimate the intelligence or emotions of an animal. Never misjudge the power of imagination. And never miscalculate your relationship with a beast. Think you can hang? Grab your courage and a copy of Beasts and prepare for a dark, fast-paced, edge-of-your-seat thrill run. Each story has amazing character depth, suspense, shocks, and carries the theme of this ethology creatively and in the most entertaining way. You might have a few nightmares. Just make sure you're actually asleep. I most highly recommend this to all fans of modern horror and cannot wait for volume two. And now for the hard part, choosing my favorites. I found The Wrong Step by Tim Reed to be unique and entertaining. The main character, Jack, starts out having a surprisingly good meeting with his manager at work, only to step into a puddle on his way home that leads him into a wild, terrifying, dreamlike trip in which nature's beauty could instead be a wicked trap. A nice surprise in this volume for me was The Demon of Jericho by Eric Arvin, and I say this because it is not a story I would have picked up on my own to read, yet I ended up hanging on every word and loving it. You may wonder who the bad guy really is, and you may question human nature, but one thing is for sure you will be entertained by this short. The River Kings by Ryan C. Thomas was intense. Prepare to boo and cheer along the way as you wait to find out the fate of Simon, his daughter, and his babysitter. Remember the Stars by Pamela O'Herlihy was epic. Carl is an amazing and important creature who made me feel saddened, intrigued, and disgusted by the human race while also feeling hopeful. This was a very powerful short story. As I always love Michael Bray's writing, 
although I can't say too much about Burger Van without spoilers. So I will just say that the story had great drama from beginning to end and has a very interesting apologetic ending. And I'll end with a quick shout out to Andrew Lennon for one of the best lines, which was, It couldn't hear me coming. So that was uh, that was an exciting review. I uh, I'm really happy that Christina uh, joined our our, uh, our little group here. Me too. Um, I like her a lot, and I mean I like the book too, even though I am a little bit biased. But uh, there, there's just so much in there. It's, yeah, it's really great effort. It's huge. I mean, it comes in two volumes for a reason. Because <laughs> some of the stories that that came in, from my understanding, were really long. And uh, to put them all in one volume, it would have been like a thousand pages, and that's a little bit daunting for any any reader, even if you yeah. like big books. So, so yeah, definitely. even if you like Stephen King, Titanic size books, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bricks and door stoppers. But uh, uh, that was uh, for the first volume. Both Michael and I, our story, we uh, we appear in the second volume, and she's going to be reviewing that shortly. Um, probably closer to the release date. Not entirely sure, but we will keep you posted. And uh, so, thanks to Christina for coming along. You can. Uh, she is. Uh, I believe she runs uh, fans of modern horror. Uh, there's a blog you can check out for that. And her biggest presence, though, is on uh, Goodreads and Facebook. So definitely check her out there. And that's fans of modern horror. Or uh, or Christina Cooper, and uh, where can they find you, Michael? Well, you can find me at michaelschutzryan.com. That's got the links to all my good stuff. Or come on over to uh, Michael Schutz Fiction on Facebook, and if you're so inclined, Schutz Fiction at Twitter. Awesome. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Jason underscore White, and I'm also on Facebook. Uh, if you're going to search for me on Facebook, it's best to just search Dark Fiction, all one word. You'll find I should pop up right away. Uh, don't search Jason White, because there's an endless sea of Jason White. <laughs> and uh, if you want to get a hold of the show, oh, I also have a, an Amazon uh, store that Michael has as well, where you can uh, you can check out my book, uh, The Haunted Country, and if you check out uh, Michael's uh, Amazon store, you can check out his book, Blood Vengeance, and yes. uh, and there's also other stuff. I have short story collection and some short stories from that collection sold singly, and you have some short stories as well, correct? I have a couple short stories, and as ever, plans to get more up there. So keep keep looking, keep checking, please. Yay! And if you want to get a hold of the show, you can do so by uh, well, first you can visit the website, which is wheredarknessdwells.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. If you want to like the page, it's easy to do. Just go to facebook.com um, backslash or slash 
where darkness dwells and uh, there's also a group on the Facebook page you have to do a search for that because the web address for that is insanely stupid with numbers <laughs> and uh, we're also on Twitter and you can reach us there at dark dweller 74 and well actually there's one more way you can email us too and that's uh, darknessdwells74 at gmail.com I think I, I think I hit them all there I think so. All right. So, uh, yeah, that was a good episode. It was a great episode. Um, and until we talk to you next time, my friends, stay dreadful. Stay dreadful indeed.